Why do you think you limit God? Why do you think you limit God? Too much doubt. Because we don't believe in ourselves. It's not a right or wrong answer, by the way. Why do you limit God? Mm. Jeff said it's hard to believe for stuff that you can't see or in someone giving it to you whom you cannot see. That's very true. Or when things keep hurting in your body. Right? And it's prolonged and you've been wrestling with that and you've prayed and you've asked and Right? <laughs> That's why I love the words to that first song in particular. Both songs were just so good. Both songs were so good. But uh, the, the joy behind standing. There was a line in Brandon's song about welcoming the wonder. Welcoming the wonder. And we don't have to demand an answer. Ginny Holzer, an artist, thinker, blurter of brilliance, said, you are a victim of the rules you live by. I find myself there. I think I limit God with that. I especially have a lot of rules going into the end of the week. I wear several different hats and by the end of the week I have to put on my prepare to pastor, prepare to speak hat. So I try shutting down, you know, Friday-ish and dedicating all of Saturday to, to being prepared to share and to lead. The individual who was grilling me about did we have I, I'm having fun I'm making more of that than they did but uh, they're also a, a bingo one of our bingo volunteers and, and we were just having fun and they were sincerely asking me you know what, what was coming up and did we <clears throat> did, was I ready I always feel bad when I can't say oh man I, I have the next couple of weeks of outlines ready yeah I'm, I'm ready to go I know what I'm speaking on. I, I, I always used to feel guilty when I'd listen to speakers like Andy Stanley, right? <laughs> Yo, man, I, I love Andy. And, and megachurch pastors like him and, and others who have the whole year planned out. And then they have it planned out by month and by quarters. And they know what they're going to speak on for months ahead. And then they've got their outline ready by Tuesday because they go into Wednesday staff meeting, okay, with the staff that has to put together all the media and all of that. And so they sit around and chat about 
you know, the images and the graphics and where the songs go and, you know, just when they're going to pull the trigger on what and, and all of that. Paid staff. Paid staff that are able to be there all day and they do this as a job. Now, I'm not against that. I, I appreciate that. That's powerful. But I'm not that. And it's silly to try to be it. And it's silly to come under condemnation because here I'm getting ready on Saturday night and even wrapping up things on Sunday morning. But this weekend was different. I broke all my own rules. And I just took the limits off. And I knew that I was headed for this when I was answering this bingo volunteer on Friday. I could feel it inside that something was going to be different. And when, when I woke up on Saturday morning, there were a number of outstanding tasks that needed to be done around the home, and the dogs needed to be washed. Now, you might think, oh, throw them in the shower, you know, throw them in the sink and bathe them down, soap them up and rinse them off. No, 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 no. You, you don't understand. These are shisus. She su, not shitsu. Shisu. I used to say shitsu. It's not shitsu. Shisu. You got to comb all the tangles out first. Then you bathe them. Then you comb them again, and they have to be dried. And then I do our own grooming, and so I groom them, and their hair is long. And this is multi-hour, okay? Many hours. There's the lawn. There's, you know, the downstairs basement that needs to be fixed up and some things repaired and so forth. And you know what? I got up on Saturday morning, Jim, and I just thought to myself, I'm going to do this stuff all day. I'm going to work on my basement and I'm going to wash the dogs what about your sermon? This is my inner voice, inside voice. I don't know. <laughs> oh, what about your outline? You don't have an outline. I know. Terrible, isn't it? They're <laughs> breaking all the rules. And I thought about Jesus being a carpenter. And I was wondering if all day long he sat and prepared sermons in his mother's house because he lived with his mom so of course she would have underwritten it <laughs> not too much different than some people watching me right right now right you live with your parents they kind of underwrite things and you're doing I'm sorry I'm sorry I shouldn't I'm getting off or or was he busy learning a trade and making money at a trade See, there's a lot about Jesus' early life. We're frankly just not told. It, it, it isn't there. We know, though, that he was a carpenter. And knowing Jesus as well as you might, you know, he wasn't a slouch. He didn't sit around. I'm sure he earned money at his carpentry. Learned it from his father, who was a carpenter as well. Okay, so when did he prepare? When did he get his sermon notes together? 
And I sort of heard this voice. I'm not going to say, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me out of the clouds and proclaimed, Jeffrey, I will speak to you and give you a sermon. But I did have this thought. If Jesus could work at being a carpenter and still do miracles, surely I can get a sermon while I'm doing things around the home. And I don't even have to do a miracle. (laughs) I don't have to open any eyes, blind eyes, or heal anybody, you know. Because that's kind of all his thing, right? I just, generally speaking, have to get up before you and say something intelligent that you'll stay plugged into for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, right? And some of you clearly don't, so I'm working on that. And I begin to think about, because I had already had this thought, <clears throat> good, good father, abundance, how God treats his kids. Kind of thought maybe I was developing a series out of that thought about the abundance of God, good, good God. And all of a sudden this idea of taking the limits, taking the limits off of God came to me. And that's when I read this quote by Jenny Holzer. You are a victim of the rules that you live by. Jesus was used to taking the limits off and not going by the rules, by the way. One of his greatest criticisms was that he wasn't living by the rules. There's a story in the book of John, John's Gospel, found in chapter 2, of Jesus turning water into wine. In the narrative, Jesus and his disciples attend a wedding in a place called Cana. And during that celebration, the host runs out of wine. And you've got to understand, that would have been a very embarrassing and culturally significant issue to encounter, especially for the host. You, 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 you didn't put on a big wedding. And by the way, weddings there could go on for weeks, maybe months, but definitely days. And so the host knew that that was the case and that people would coming in and out and celebrating and he had to have wine enough and he ran out of wine. Now, this wasn't just, whoops, we'll go down to King Supers or we'll go down to a local wine store, right? This was like Ichabod on you you were looked down upon by the community elders. Uh, you might lose your business, your status, for coming upon such a situation and being ill-prepared. And what were you going to do then as far as the wine that people still needed to drink? Very embarrassing. In response to the situation, Jesus' mother comes to him and says, Jesus, we're out of wine. And he says, it's not my time yet. Like, wait a minute, don't, don't put a demand on me. God has not released me to do miracles yet. But in the very next verse of this context, Jesus instructs the servants to fill six stone jars with water. And miraculously, that water is transformed into an exceptional quality wine. 
Now I'm going to read you the text. Join me, starting in John chapter 2. Now on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and the disciples were also invited to the wedding. I might just comment. This was sort of a very public thing. It was general... I'm sure everybody wasn't invited, but this was a big deal, and, and families back then were big and had relatives and cousins and uncles and so forth. And it was like, everybody's coming to this wedding, and Jesus gets invited, and all his family gets invited. It's a big deal. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no wine left, Jesus replied, woman, why are you saying this to me? My time has not yet come. His mother told the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now there were six stone water jars there, watch, for Jewish ceremonial washing. What were the jars of water there for? Ceremonial washing. In other words, they were there because of the law. The law stipulated that before you could eat and drink, especially in a public celebration like this, you had to wash. That was the law. And that, that, those water pots were there specifically for ceremonial, legal washing. Jesus told the servants, fill the water jars with water. So they filled them up to the very top. And then he told them, now, draw some out and take it to the head steward. And they did. And when the head steward tasted the water that, he had, been, that had been turned into wine, excuse me, when the head steward tasted the water that had been turned to wine, not knowing where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the bridegroom and he said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the cheaper wine when the guests get drunk. Hold on just a minute, I want to call him. Because our, our, our good evangelical friends of certain denominational ties really get into bondage about anything to do with alcohol and drinking and when they come to this text they try to explain it away by saying the the wine was the type that was watered down one part wine to three part water I read one commentary that said one part wine to ten part water so people couldn't get drunk it wasn't alcoholic it was just kind of like a weak fruit juice. And they go to great limits to explain this miracle away just because they're in bondage to drinking anything alcoholic. Excuse me, first of all, there's a comparison made between cheaper wine and better wine. And this is the good stuff, all right, that God made here that he did the miracle for. Secondly then, it says on the cheap wine they get drunk. They're getting drunk, drunk on the cheap wine, and so normally the bridegroom, knowing that, he withholds the good wine, right? And he lets people get drunk so that the good wine, he can roll that out, and people with seasoned ta taste and a little more in control of themselves can enjoy that. You've kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this as the first of his miraculous signs in Cana of Galilee, and this way he revealed his glory. His disciples believed him. Interesting. God tells us something about himself. Look at it. He revealed his glory. God in this story, in this illustration, 
tells us something about himself by taking water and turning it into alcoholic beverage at a ceremony where somebody's going to get embarrassed and run out of town as a laughing stock. And Jesus comes into that picture, saves their reputation, provides something for the rest of everybody there. And who knows, this is 180 gallons of wine. So this is going to take care of some things at least for a couple of days, right? Jesus does this, his first miracle of all miracles, Jesus is found turning water into alcoholic beverage, and it says, so that God can be glorified and his, something about him made manifest. Why do we limit God? Why do we limit what God can do? Are we embarrassed? Let me give you three things here that came out of this making of wine. That God, I believe, that God is trying to say to us. Number one, divine presence. In the midst of what could be either your most embarrassing time or your most difficult time, God's presence is with you. I don't care how bad it is, how messy it is. Jesus is mixed up in your day, always. Number two, God delights in abundance. He is not a reluctant giver. He loves to give you great things. He loves for you. He took care of an embarrassing situation at a wedding ceremony. God Whose God does that? Whose God loves you that much that he would care enough to pull your fanny out of the fire, save your reputation, take care of all your guests, and oh, this was not, what do they used to call it? The, the really cheap wine that came in jugs. We all made fun of it. Port? <laughs> oh, Mad, Mad Dog 2020. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm thinking of. But boy, this stuff was sold like in cheap stores, right? And it came in jugs, and we all made fine of it, fun of it as wine. And of course, no wine connoisseur would ever have a glass of this stuff, okay? Again, came in jugs, and it was very cheap. Here, God, I mean, think of the finest wine you may have ever tasted. That I, there's, there's wine that goes for thousands of dollars at the table when they bring you the bottle because it's so special and so vintage and so forth. Jesus turned this water into the very best. He is not a reluctant giver. Now watch this. John chapter 10 and verse 10 says this. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Here's the message translation. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Now, this is a little embarrassing here. Watch this. This is the Aramaic, and I, I must admit, I have trouble with it. 
I came, I come to them that they will have life and will have more things for themselves. Really? I used to be taught by my mom and dad that, because I'd quote the scripture out of Philippians, that God gives us the desires of our heart and he, he, he gives us, you know, uh, every good thing. Well, but that doesn't mean just whatever you want. That, that's what you need. God will give you what you need. Really? Well, that's not what this verse says. God's not reluctant. He's extravagant. Take the limits off of God. And number three, Jesus is the uncommon God for the uncommon people or the uncommon situation. You know, this place where this took place is called Cana. It's only mentioned three times in all of the Bible, all three of them in the book or gospel of John. It's so insignificant that it's kind of the place you pass through on your way to somewhere else. It just is, it's not important. It's never, and yet Jesus is there doing his first miracle, turning water into wine. This was a common wedding among common people for a very common town, never talked about with any notoriety, and Jesus does his first miracle revealing something about God. What did he reveal about God? It's all in the pot. I didn't say it, I didn't say it went to pot. It's in the pots. What were the pots there for? Remember? What did the pots have in them? And what were the pots for? And what, what kind of requirement was that? I mean, I, I go into the bathroom all the time, and there's men in there who are going to the bathroom, zip up, and walk out. All the time. <laughs> not here man you are going to wash your hands and oh by the way it's not just a quick five seconds we were watching something the other day where the question family feud I think it, and the question was how long is the average time in which we wash our hands one answer was 10 I think one was 20 and one was 5 or maybe the, the correct answer which was 5 isn't even answered but 5 Five is the average, five seconds. This was ceremonial washing. There was a way to do it. And, it. and it wasn't just to get your hands clean. It was to follow God in the ceremony of legalistic obedience so that God's blessing would be upon you. Now, what does God do with that legalism? He turns it by his grace into a provision that the people didn't even need or look, weren't. People wanted, but they didn't need it. They could have gone without the wine. It was an embarrassing situation. God didn't have to cover that. He took something that was steeped in legalism, covered it with his grace, and gave it back to the people and said, Hey, I'm showing you something about me.
I'm alive. I want to be in your everyday life with your everyday messes. You can take the limits off because I'm here as an uncommon God for an uncommon people in uncommon circumstances. And I just love you. And I want to bless you. And I want you to live an abundant life. Yes, even things. I want you to have things. Why do you think you limit God? I thought about this list. And I'm going to tell you why I think I limit God. I've limited God because I question his goodness. I'm learning not to. I limit God because I question my goodness. I'm learning not to. <laughs> now, it doesn't depend on me, but in Christ, I've been made the righteousness of God. I've doubted, number three, that God wants me to have and enjoy good things because it was ingrained in me. God will give you what you need not necessarily what you want. Did you ever hear that as a child? God will give you what you need, but not, not necessarily what you want. Oh, man, well, there goes, there goes a bunch of prayers. All right, now, finally, listen to this. Your awareness detectors, your lookers, your looker, are most often turned to broken dreams and doubts instead of a good, good father. Do you know you have lookers on the inside of you? You have awareness detectors on the inside of you. We're constantly aware. You have to train yourself to be aware of a good, good father. Otherwise, what you'll be seeing more often is brokenness and doubts. You mentioned it, doubts, right? We live in a very broken, doubt-filled world. God says, I want to change your awareness and you know how I'm going to do it? I'm going to do my very first miracle in a place where nobody would expect it to be done and nobody's interested. And I'm going to do it for a group of people that are out partying and having a good time at a wedding. And they run out of wine. And I'm going to cover it. I'm going to protect somebody's reputation while I'm at it. And I'm going to do one of the greatest miracles of all because I'm going to move them and shift their thinking from one of serving a legalistic God where you are bound in obedience before he can bless you. I'm going to shift it to a good, good father who just blesses you because he loves you, not because you deserve it. I'm going to show you a whole new character of God. All of that, while I was fixing the hose, taking care of the downstairs basement vents and putting new ones up and spent oh probably about five hours and I'm not done I, I do it in phases so I'll be coming back and doing more of my dogs so five hours yesterday and I still have probably two more hours because I got to do touch up and their paws and different things I wonder what Jesus did while he was woodworking I wonder how many great sermons Jesus got while he was woodworking. Is God with you in the middle of what you do? Or do you have to go meet him at the church? 
It's time we break some rules and we take the limits off.